0: Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them his parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God for one sinner who repents. The Gospel of the Lord. A
1: couple of things to begin. One, I want to thank you Jared for filling in for me when I was supposed to be filling in for him last week. <laughs> Thanksgiving Day, I developed a cough I finally gave up. Went to the clinic and then diagnosed me with influenza A, which didn't make me sick, other than I couldn't stop coughing. I still have a little bit of rest. Uh, I've been praying that I could do the message without breaking down the coughing. So, again, thank you, Jared, for that. And I told my supervisor, work on it and her substitute driver for the piecemeal program out Bush, and I heard on Saturday that, that I wouldn't be available for work Monday and Tuesday, and I told her it's kind of a bad deal when the sub can't sub, and she agreed because they were kind of, they needed me because of another driver's been off for two months. Anyway, that got worked out. It's something I've told uh, people where I've worked before, when they assigned me a task, and said, you're the only one that can do this. Well, just imagine I'm not here and figure out a way to do it without me. So, the <laughs> world got along just fine without me last week. So here I am this morning. And last week I was going to open up, uh, because we were beginning at hand, I was going to begin talking about my thoughts on Christmas. And I thought, well, I can still have thoughts on Christmas on the second Sunday of And So I want to start out with reflections on some of the past Christmases. And... Uh, the one that will always stick out with me how its the most important Christmas that I can remember. It was Christmas Eve of 1965, and Lou and I had been dating for almost a year, and that evening we announced at a family gathering that we were engaged to be married. And uh, there was a lot of happiness and joy, but it just was a very special, special Christmas. And I needed to remember that because a couple of years later on Christmas morning, I woke up and I had the bad kind of flu. And Lila took me to the emergency room at that time in Charleston Hospital, they gave me a shot, sent me home to bed. And we realized later that we never received a bill for that visit. So I thought that was kind of a special gift considering all that I went through. Uh, Then over two Christmas I spent while I was in the Army, one was in San Francisco, which wasn't too bad. Uh, the other one was in Long Bay in Vietnam. That was not a pleasant day. Uh, at least in the United States I could call home, but uh, that wasn't possible at that time. Of course, then following that, when we come back home. We start having a family. We enjoy having Christmases with our girls as they transition from uh, getting toys to getting clothing and other things for Christmas. And then came grandkids. That's even more special than having their own kids. It's just, <laughs> it is. You know, you have grandkids first, you never have kids. That's for sure. Grandparents don't want to talking about parents that day, you But there's another Christmas I remember, and something Bill Rare and I were having a conversation a couple of weeks ago that brought this back. Uh, he, Wanda, Wallace, and I were in a Christmas program at Four Leather Jackson. We were to be camels and we were to come in singing We Three Kings. That did not go well. Uh, rehearsal was a disaster. We couldn't get hardly started before we just break down laughing. I, I assume we made it through Christmas, the Christmas program. I don't remember if we ever did it up. I just know we were laughing so hard we almost couldn't speak after. So, um, that remains one of my favorite church Christmas events. <laughs> But Christmas is going to be special this year for some people. For some people, this is the first time they'll have had Christmas together as husband and wife. Or maybe it's the first Christmas with that first child. Or maybe with that fifth child. <laughs> or with grandchildren. But also, we recognize this also will be kind of a despondent time because this may be a Christmas for the first time without that special person or maybe 37 years ago, the lost special pictures. Age doesn't seem to diminish that a great deal at Christmas time. And it could be that relationships have changed. It could be that distances have separated families. The Christmas was long, will always be a very special day. Well, as a church has transformed from their fall decorations to the Christmas decorations, our home has done the same. While Lula was busy decorating and getting out the, all the Christmas decorations, we put up the tree, and she found all the items that she has been looking for, which worked well with this morning's message, Lost and Found. Um, anyway, we've, she's got while she's doing all that. I, this, in a way, is one of my favorite times of the year because I get to play all my Christmas CDs, and uh, I have a lot of CDs, but I really appreciate my Christmas ones. Between that and YouTube, I could pretty much use up the whole thing. And so I thought, well, why not compile a top 10 list of my favorite Christmas songs? But before I go to that list, there's two that have kind of special categories. One of them is Handel's Hallelujah Chorus from Handel's Messiah. And for me, the bigger the orchestra, the bigger the choir, the bigger the sound, the better that is. And the other one is one you may not be as familiar with. It's uh, a Christmas Hallelujah featuring Kaylee Rogers if you're not familiar with her go to YouTube look for her, Christmas Halloween with Kaylee Rogers uh, at the time she was an 11 year old student at the Killiard House Special School in Ireland and she's been diagnosed with ADHD and she has autism and they said she's generally shy around people but she comes to life singing and, sings, and uh, if you ever remember watching the Little Big Shots program with Steve Harvey she appeared on there one time uh, with pentatonics and sang uh, Hallelujah on there, so it's worth looking it up on YouTube and uh, check out Taylor Rogers at Christmas, Hallelujah. Now, let's go to my top 10 list. This is my list, just reflect on what you're thinking. Uh, number 10, Go Tell on the Mountain by various artists. O'Connor, O'Connor, Emmanuel, thank you, Jared. Uh, Little Drummer Boy, my favorite version is by the group called for Caden Country of the Herald by Thomas, Lord Alfred Pillarberg. Mary Did You Know by various artists. I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day by Casting Crowns. Joy to the World, I think especially appreciate the choral versions of that. I Have Seen the Light, it? it's kind of a Southern Gospel type song, but I really appreciate various artists that do that. Oh Holy Night, and it takes a special person to sing Oh Holy Night. And my number one is, probably not surprisingly, Silent Night. Uh, various artists, vocal versions are good. I really appreciate Mannheim team, instrumental version of Silent Night. And Silent Night will always be uh, my favorite. In fact, when our family, larger family would gather for a little Christmas program, we would always con- conclude that was the singing of Silent Night. Now, no, Grandma got ran right over by our reindeer. thankful to this. <laughs> That's not been in our house from day, from day one. Even though we may have a grandson who likes to say it.
0: <laughs> I have three grandsons, so you can't figure
1: out what I'm talking about. Anyway, you might expect for Advent season a message to come from either the Gospel of uh, Matthew or Mark, Matthew or Luke, the, about the coming of the king. Uh, Tell him that, you know that account, and we're familiar with that, and there's nothing wrong with those accounts, and we'll be getting to those accounts later on. You might also expect something from the Old Testament prophets foretelling the coming king, or from Isaiah, especially, who wrote a great deal about the coming Messiah. But this morning, I want us to look at Luke 15, 1 through 10, and the two parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and help us to understand that that,
0: too, can foretell the coming of the king. We know that Jesus, Jesus
1: used parables extensively in his earthly ministry. And there's, uh, there's a great deal written about parables in general. Just a couple of things that I want to bring to us right back. A parable is just a story with a moral or object lesson to it to enhance that point. Um, here's a question. When you're reading or studying a parable, don't get wrapped up in the details. Stick to what the story is about. And I think, to me, and I've encountered this number of times, a number of people when they want to go into the parable of the Good Samaritan, will get so wrapped up in trying to explain or give reasons or excuses why the priest and the Levite failed to stop and help their fellow man that they kind of obscure the whole point of the parable was. Do good to your neighbor. So let's not get caught up in the minute details of, of that parable. And let us look at what was the parable, what was the point of the parable, who was the audience, what was the message, and let's go from that point forward. So, so let's go to verses 1 and 2 of this morning's text. We read, Now the tax collectors and sinners for all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Nicholas Perrin, in his commentary on those passages observes, I think this is important. When Luke recounts Jesus hosting such meals over the course of his ministry, the evangelist consistently drops hints of their social diversity. More so than the other gospel writers, Luke is determined to illustrate and justify Jesus' exclusive not to mention mention controversial dining practices. And R.C. Sproul observes, isn't it interesting how Jesus drew sinners to himself, yet sinners tend to flee from us? Sproul, I wonder what they saw in him that they don't see in us. We find Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. I think it's interesting to note how tax collectors have their own designation apart from sinners. We know the Jewish people loathe tax collectors. They were viewed as turncoats who sold their souls to buy the Roman tax gathering franchises so they could prey on their fellow men. Synagogues would not accept their alms, which I find interesting. Uh, their testimony was not received in Jewish courts. They were held to be worse than the heathen. As such, as long as as such, along with the sinners, those who were immoral or not living according to established rules, they were in desperate need of redemption. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, relate the calling of a tax collector to come and follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Not only did Matthew give up his lucrative business to follow the master. But he also threw a banquet and invited other tax collectors and sinners to dine with him. In the events of Luke 15, were not Jesus' first encounter with the Pharisees and religious leaders and their reaction to his welcoming tax collectors and sinners. He always responded the same way. that he came for the sick, needed healing. He said, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. I've had one encounter with an IRS agent. Uh, don't get too concerned. Uh, he was investigating someone and he came to the place that I was a bookkeeper at and just needed to go through our records to verify some things and complete his investigation. He was very pleasant. He was focused on what he was there to do. He was no problem for us at all. When he completed, he thanked us for our work. Uh, Didn't dig any farther than what he needed to. Uh, so when I hear people talk about tax collectors and IRS agents, I don't get that connection, and I'm not sure that that equates to our society today. But the point here is that Jesus is eating with some of the worst people of the Jewish society. He might as well have been eating with the heathen. Well, while we may not be able to identify with the first century Jew and their contempt for tax collecting, we probably can relate to those their disdain for the sinners that he was with. Sinners today, as they have always been, are known for being irreligious, thumbing their nose up to at God or worse. They have little or no concern for the moral standards of society. They seem not to care how the rest of society views them, they live for themselves, and they live for today. And that's not changed. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, That man receives sinners and eats with them. We're familiar with the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day, but may not be familiar with the scribes. The scribes were the teachers of the law, the ones who drew up legal documents. They also copied the Old Testament scripture. The scribes also devoted themselves to the study of the law and the determination of, the, of its application on daily life. Which they failed to do. These men also studied the scripture and with respect to doctrinal and historical matters. Noted scribes and teaching the law had their own disciples. Many of them were members of the Jewish council. So we have here two groups that were scholars of God's word, yet they failed to understand how to live out God's Word when given the opportunity. I know it's easy to attack the Pharisees and scribes. After all, we have the benefit of reading. The gospel accounts how they were so filled with self righteousness that they failed to see their own sin. But I issue a word of While it's true that many of the religious elite failed to understand or appreciate Jesus' ministry and teachings, we must guard against that happening to us. Let me illustrate it this way. Suppose you've been studying a certain passage of Scripture and would like to discuss that passage with Pastor Jerry. You call the church office. Corrine informs you that Jared is out for the day. He's meeting with some people at Lefty's Holler. Now, if you're not familiar with Lefty's Holler, it's a tavern on 7th Street, south of the square. Uh, it's just a local place where certain people gravitate to. But anyway, Corrine says, No, Pastor Jared's at Lefty's Holler What's your initial reaction to know that your pastor is at a tavern? With a bunch of those kind of people. Are you incensed because not only is he unavailable to be with you and meet with you because you have a genuine question and concern and something you need to discuss with him, but also he's out in public as a representative of your church going into that place meeting with those people. Now, you being a super Christian as you are, you would probably celebrate that he's spending time with the lost. But others among us might not be as amenable as that. The Pharisees were appalled that Jesus would be with sinners. They were also in that he wouldn't spend the time to meet with them so they could discuss the finer points of the law and the scripture. So when we look at a passage like this, let me caution you, ask this question of yourself. Honestly, am I a Pharisee? Do I see myself how the Pharisees react to Jesus? Consider that as you read the scriptures, as you live your life out in the community. Our two parables for this morning, they're rather brief. I won't spend a great deal of time on them. I think they're self-explanatory. But in the first, a man has one hundred sheep, but one of them is lost. The second woman has ten silver coins, but one of them is lost. So here we have two instances of something of value that is lost. The first parable is probably caused by the actions of the sheep itself. It has perhaps strayed from the flock. The second is the discovery that one of the silver coins is missing. That which is valued is lost. So what to do? Now we have the search. The man leaves the, his flock in the open country and searches for the lost sheep. The woman lights a lamp, diligently sweeps her floor to find the lost coin. Both the man and the woman stop what they've been doing and immediately begin the search. Have recovery and a call for celebration. The man finds his lost sheep. Woman, her lost coin. What happens next? Rejoice in it. Note the man carries the lost sheep on his shoulders instead of fastening a rope to it and dragging it back that way. In verse six, we read, "And he comes home when he comes, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost.'" In verse nine we read, and when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I have lost. How valuable are the lost (coughs) Jesus speaks these words in verse seven just so I tell you, speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, just so I tell you there will be more more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. In verse 10, he tells them, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God for one sinner who repents. The lost are valued. In the first parable, it's easy for us to see Jesus as the good shepherd. That's easy to see. But in the second parable, Jesus is at work also in diligently looking for the lost. One commentator noted that not only was Jesus the good shepherd in life, he was also carrying us in death. The indictment of the religious leaders we find in verse four: "What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it?" You see, the Pharisees were incensed that Jesus would associate with tax collectors and sinners. Yet Jesus is charging them to failure to care for the lost things among them. These men were concerned with the outward appearances. The religious allegiance in society wanted their stature to be appreciated. And they should have been seeking to look, to save, to seeking to search for it and to save the lost and break into the Father. I mentioned earlier about the scribes who st- students of the scripture. How to apply it to daily life, but they were missing the big picture and how to apply that to their daily life. Isaiah rightly spoke when he said, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 53.6 6. The Advent sees this reminds us, all sheep have a shepherd. And the shepherd came not only to find them, but to bring them to the kingdom of the Father. Again, I think these parables are self explanatory. And I didn't want to get caught up in the details. But one, one commentator spent like two chapters on the 99 that weren't, that were left behind, but that didn't need repentance. Not my purpose this morning. My purpose this morning is to alert us to the fact that there are lost. Jesus seeks the lost. Jesus seeks the lost through us, his people. So, may the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin help us through this Advent season to celebrate once again the birth of our Savior. Tax collectors and sinners, friends of Jesus, may we be vessels of grace, as Reverend Archbishop Brodie would say. May we be vessels of grace instead of policemen of the world. Let us pray, Father God, help us to have a heart for the lost. Help us to guard against being like a Pharisee, where we judge others. By their outward appearance and consider ourselves to be more righteous than them. Father, pray that we will be like Jesus and that sinners will draw near to us and we can then share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. Father, the angel said to the shepherds in Luke 2 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Father, we celebrate the birth of our Savior we heed the call to go and find the lost and bring them to you. For it's in his name, amen. <laughs> um.